Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. I think there's definitely sort of what I enjoy is the talk around ideas and the talk about design and abstract layer above where you go, you know, is it good that we work in this way? Like that that's part of the agile that I, I really enjoy is kind of the meta aspect of it. Like I'm preparing a blog right now, which is talking about simplicity and continuous improvement and this kind of drive we have for like I think those are the cornerstones of what we're really doing. Like if you have to explain agile to your mom. What do you say? Right. And I think I can sum it right down into the concept. And you're trying to do two things. You're trying to continuously improve. Right. And I think people have parallels with things like uh, retrospectives. And and the other thing you need to do is is to focus on simplicity, strive for simplicity. The question, how can I make this simpler? And for me, that's where like refactoring fits really well, is that you're constantly looking at it saying, how can I take the same program, can I do this in a more readable way? Can I do it in a simpler way? This business problem that I'm solving, instead of creating a six-month project, can I just, you know, buy a library for a competitor even, right? Like, sometimes those are very valid decisions. Microsoft, um, when they did, like, everyone talks, sorry, not Microsoft, but Google, uh, Google Maps is, like, such an amazing tool. But people don't realize when it first came out, they weren't even using their own engine. <laughs> They were using MapQuest because they needed to validate whether people would even buy this. Was this even a good idea? And I remember that you used to have these little map squares come up and you would click on the arrow to the side and it would like shift over to the next piece of the map. Yep. It was like you only look at one jigsaw puzzle piece at a time. And then Google brought this thing in where you would click and you would move over and gradually so you could like scroll. It was, it was like a mind-blowing thing. 
really changed the way people approach the software. And then they were, okay, we can do this. Then they went out and spent the money, got satellite images, blah, 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 and the rest is history. I want to help businesses do that, like start thinking in a better way. So when I explain to my mom what I do, I, I tell her I work in small batches. I inspect the what happens. I, I look at the outcome, and I try to do better next time in very small batches. And that made sense to her. She's like, oh, so you just write little bits, check it, and then do it again. I'm like, yep, and I try to do better. And she can okay, that sounds smart. Yeah, that's excellent. That's an uh, excellent description. I think I think we really get too far away from uh, from things sometimes. And I was just listening to uh, you talking with Neil about no estimates. Right. Well, right. no estimates came up on the, on the the irony of spending so much time talking about no estimates <laughs> when in fact it's like we're trying to reduce you know waste in our process. We're trying to do less if we can. See, I love no estimates on the principle of it's for me it's driving towards simplicity. And you might have to use estimates in what you're doing, but I don't get asked the question. Like everything should be on the table as can we can we rip this out? Like if I was making a bare bones car, can I take the back seats out? Well yeah, there's only gonna be two of us. All right, good, we don't need a back seat. Can I take the engine out? No. We're gonna need the engine. So you're listening to Agile for Humans. We went ahead and just jumped in the conversation. Brian Beecham is with us. Brian, uh, thanks for being here. We're talking about simplicity. I don't want to interrupt the flow, but just want to make sure the listeners realize they're listening to the Agile for Humans podcast. And as you think about you know that, that simplicity thing, and even no estimates, everything on the table, challenge, everything. The estimate thing is interesting, and I don't want this to turn into a no estimate show if it doesn't have to, but... It's interesting because the estimate acts as a proxy, in my opinion, to collaboration. And that's the part I want to challenge and really look at. It's like, is it simpler to just sit the product owner or the stakeholder or the person paying the bills next to or into the development team, having them look at the output regularly and then making decisions? And if you're doing that, what value is that estimate? You know, that's the kind of I stuff love- that, that I'm interested in. I love the expression that, uh, you know, people put a put a story up on the wall, a little card up on the wall. I love the expression, placeholder for a conversation. Yep. That's what that card is. People say, oh, but it doesn't contain X, it doesn't contain Y. It's good, good. I hope it doesn't because I want you to, if you don't remember, to be able to talk to the person about it. you got to have those inf- that information in your head when you go to do the work. And maybe the solution is, well, we need the right people there. Oh, good. And then you start working towards something like mob programming or something. That's what brings that in. Um, collaboration is a is a key part of this. But I think it's incredibly hard. And so we, we create these systems on top of systems on top of systems where we think it gets complexity. simpler. Absolutely. Then the complexity is to mask the hard things. And I, I wonder if we were just to, you know, what if we spent a lot of time figuring out collaboration and the triggers that allow it to to start, the things that, that set people out of alignment, how to get people back in alignment. We focus on that for a while. Do all of these other complex systems just die away? You know, you're, you're getting back down to the kiss rule. Yep. I just keep it simple, Sully. And um, I'm a huge believer in that. In fact, I think I think that there's a um, there's a lesson I believe that we've missed from Tichi Ono. You know, when he used to go around and inspect, you know, the process up on the wall. And if you could see and, um, you know, the 
process were all written out, if it was starting to curl up at the corners or the paper had started to yellow, he would rip it off the wall and then, you know, and tear a page out of the, not tear a page, but uh, tear a strip off the person who's in charge of it because, you know, he'd say, oh, do you don't care about the company? You don't care about uh, the families of the people that work here? And But the idea is that it's the act of looking for improvement, the act of looking for a simpler way. By inspecting, we get so much uh, insight into what it is we're actually making and doing. I think another key thing we were talking about, you know, explaining agile to your mom and, you know, uh, you know, putting it into, I like saying mom instead of the, I hate the expression layman terms. Uh, I want to say to your mom because it's someone you care about that you want to, uh, you want to make sure that they understand. Um, it's critical that we have that feedback aspect when we're talking to them, right? The more we get feedback from our customers, and like you said, working in those small pieces, we can get feedback sooner. You make sure we're building the right thing. I always think back to my kids, and when I'm I'm talking to my my six year old especially, and trying to either impart some knowledge or or teach a lesson, if it's not immediate feedback, it's lost. If I try to come back two hours later to something that happened, he has no clue what the context was. His brain's off in a million different directions, and he's already looked at you know twenty different things. And but when an event happens, and you you localize in very quickly. You, you inspect, you adapt, you make some changes, it sticks. And I, I always try to think back to that. How do we, how do we take, because at work it's all serious and it's all, it's supposed to be complex. That's why they pay us and, and all, those, all those things. But really, <laughs> it, it, it can be as simple as uh, parenting a child or, or, or the same concepts can apply and that's okay. It's even like the fun at work, right? Well, no, we can't well, do this. You know, I, we can't do ideation with Legos. It's not professional, or you know, all these different things. Like- I, I just had uh, I had coffee with someone earlier today, and we were talking about the managers who, you know, from a, a fully bygone era, who would measure things by lines of code, you know, per developer. Right. It's like, oh, dude, you wrote a thousand lines of code today. You're good. You know, <laughs> he did fifteen hundred. He's great. Obviously, but, you know, we used to measure. Hopefully, the still isn't done, but car, red cars paid higher insurance than other colors <laughs> because most sports cars are red. It, it, if it's easy to measure, right, we're going to hang on to that. We're like, oh, this is a really easy thing to measure. So I, I, I'll, I'll measure it because they want some status to say, I don't understand. Like I'm, if a manager doesn't understand code, good code from bad code, right, they need some kind of measuring stick to go, I don't know if you're doing a good job or not. What I think what we have to do is, like you were saying earlier, with simplicity is to just focus them on, are you delivering your customer value? Like the customer's like, oh, this is great. We've made extra money. We're doing really well. Like, you know, make people awesome is is like one of the things from Modern Agile, right, that Josh Kurowski from IELTS is talking about. I'm, I'm a big supporter of that. Um, we just focus on making people awesome. And uh, a great link also, if you want to put one on your show, is from uh, Kathy Sierras. In that book, she gets right into the details of, don't worry about you being great. If you focus on making the users of your software and making your customers great, you will become great. So in all those little things you're worried about, like uh, whether you're doing the right type of estimation or whether you're, it should be a pink paper or a red paper or a white paper we put on the wall, all the little crap. Can I say that word on this show? It's uh, fine. Yep. So just, I just did. Um, all that small stuff just falls wayside. 
find the key things to focus on, right? Um, you know, I'm on modern agile, right? Talking about experiment and learning rapidly. Um, we have to like, uh, we have to integrate our software uh, frequently. We frequently deliver our software to them. Important things. I think it comes back down to though, part of making people awesome is uh, looking at the psychological safety that our teams have. Uh, one of the things that uh, and Google did a, a big study on their best teams and said, you know, what is it that's making team in A rock versus team B? They're not doing as well. And the number one thing on these top performing teams was psychological safety. They could openly question things. They could criticize each other with a kind of ego being offended. Um, you know, a more junior person could could question a more senior person. And teams that were safe to express their opinions, safe, safe to doubt the solution, they produced far better software. And they were much happier in, on their teams. Yeah, it's not surprising that a collaborative and safe space that you can actually get to it's the tough conversations that hold us up, right? It's the, you know, this design was not right. We need to fix it. And to be able to do that without having the person who did the original design freak out and, and, and be defensive. Just the idea is on the outcome yeah. and, we're all, and we're all invested in the outcome. And it's a very, it's a hard thing to maintain though. And, and I'm sure in, in your career as, you know, the more sought after coaches, you've seen a lot of situations where it's fallen out of place. When you walk into a place where, uh, that psychological safety has been lost. What what do you do to simplify the situation? You know, bring it back to a place of safety. You know, what are things that that let's say you have a team and it's not going right in that space. You know, what are the things that you look for and try to do to get it back to some sense of of safety? I think awareness is is one of the primary things that people need to they need to be aware that psychological safety is an important thing they need to be aware like of what the environment is I mean, a lot of cases i get brought in to do teach people about test-driven development or they're like make our developers go faster or are yeah. you know we got all kinds of bugs we need you to to make our database move you know or they say things that don't even make sense that was my that's a that's a delbert one for for the really keen people if you got if you guessed you got that right um but the reality is, is once we get inside these organizations, what coaches are really doing is they're shifting culture. I mean, I had, uh, I don't know if you have uh, ever have G-Paw on your show or not. No, we haven't um, yet. Um, I had great conversations with him about this, the cultural change that really needs to happen. Once we get the culture to change in these organizations and they see that they're not you know, it's not about, oh, just get my job done. Or that's that's his problem. That's her problem. Or she gave me the wrong thing. You know, as long as that kind of dialogue's going on, it's very, uh, it's self-destructive. It's destructive to the company. It's destructive to the team. It's just like all this stuff fits together. So, I mean, that's with my human refactoring, I like to focus on like individual team organization so i see this as a whole ecosystem that's connected together if you can put the team into a healthy culture you can get the whole culture of the company changing to support these ideas and better way of of working the team becomes a better place and then the individual on that team you know becomes much more happy and they become more productive i mean i 
I have a HR friend uh, actually I actually haven't talked to for years, but she said her goal was to have people who she worked with smile on their way to work. They were smiling on their way to work. I mean, I don't know. You've been probably been on software projects where you were dreading getting to the office, <laughs> and you've probably been on projects where you couldn't wait. That excitement of getting in. And I mean, I, I asked all the managers listening to this, which one do you want? You want you want your people dreading to be there, uh, you know, like it, or do you want people excited to be on your project? You want people asking to be transferred from other groups to your project. This is how to do it. This is a. It's like we, I coach hockey, and uh, it's one thing we tell the kids. It's an easy game. You focus on fundamentals, and the score, the victories, all that takes care of itself. And you said something earlier. I just want to mention it before I forget, is that um, immediate feedback. Uh, they teach us in hockey coaching that when uh, a child comes to the bench right after their shift, that's the time you give them feedback. You can't wait till after the game. It's gone. Yep. Right. They did so many different things in their mind. All sorts of stuff happened. They won or they lost. They're talking about the weekend or video games or something in, a, in the change room. Like it's it's gone. But what you talk about is when they first come off from that shift. Right. And it's you know, we call it the poop sandwich and agile coaching. Right. <laughs> but you tell them it's the same thing. You know, it's if for those who aren't familiar with that is how to write a critical email. You start off with the bread, which is a nice little. Hey, so, uh, you know, haven't talked to you for a while or something, something friendly. And then the middle part is the, what you really want to get to is the fact that I couldn't help but notice, blah, 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 blah. I mean, in the hockey example, it might be, hey, Johnny, uh, you're really skating hard out there today. Then you put in the, the, the point you want to get across. Next time when you have the puck in our own zone, don't bring it up in front of the net. Instead, come out more towards the boards, right? Keep up the good work. And that whole package when you package it like that um you've reinforced that you you're pleased with how they're doing um and there's a way for them to get even better to get that continuous improvement if you're not handling things in the moment you're waiting for a later time you're losing the impact and i think as coaches we see that regularly and but again you get in these environments where it may not be safe to do so and you have to work through that but i I agree with you on awareness the awareness is critical just being able to to point out and say, you know, does anyone in this room realize it's unsafe to talk about this? And, and but we really need to do that. And it's a it's a scary moment, no. but it, it's something that if you don't make that awareness happen, I don't think improvement's possible. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, more with Brian Beecham about coaching, simplicity, continuous improvement, and maybe a few more hockey tips. We'll be right back. Most coaches agree that education is vital to the success of an Agile transformation. The shared experience of having all team members take the same training puts everyone on the same page. Today's sponsor, SQE Training, one of the Techwell companies, offers both fundamental and specialized courses that help teams and organizations improve their practices and make successful transformations. Software testing training weeks feature fundamental courses in Agile DevOps, software testing, and Agile testing that can give teams the common foundation that comes from a shared training experience. They also offer specialized courses like Agile test automation, mobile application testing, and test management, planning, and measurement. Software testing training weeks are planned for San Diego, Boston, and Chicago this spring. See all the courses, dates, and locations at 
https colon slash slash well.tc forward slash 17 AFHW. Agile for Humans listeners can save $250 on any training course when they register by March 31st with the promo code 17 AFHW. Groups of three to five can save 10% and groups of six or more save up to 20%. Email groups at sqetraining.com for custom group pricing. Again, get your team on the same page with training by SQE Training. Learn more at well.tc forward slash 17 AFHW. Now, Liz Coey was telling me about something she did where she had, oh, I don't know if she has it online. Maybe she has it on SlideShare or something. Um, But she had uh, a presentation she put up before a retrospective, and it would have um, five statements on it. It basically five bullets and it'd be first bullet is this second meaning how do you feel right now and like a five would be um i feel like i can say anything here at all whereas a two i think is something like um i don't feel i can speak my mind i'm going to go along with whatever the group says and stuff there's the comments like that and she said that if you're not getting fours and fives across the board, the people basically just have to show their, I don't think they write it, they think they write it on a piece of paper and they give it up to her so it's all private. And then she sees all the numbers and if she doesn't get all fours and fives, they don't even have the retrospective. Wow. Right? Don't even have it. Because if people aren't willing to, don't feel safe to talk and to make that change, it can be even more destructive, right, to do it. Like it can be, there's people that are just nodding. They're like, "This meeting is a waste of time," and they don't appreciate, you know, the whole concept of improvement. Or we have a situation, right? Maybe, maybe uh, John's a jerk, and Jill can't say anything about his code without him going off the handle because he thinks he writes perfect code. Um, I mean, these situations. Reality is, I mean. When we say, oh, you know, there's a manager job, well, the manager job's got nothing to do with technology in any way. No matter what role you're doing, managing is always about managing people. And, I mean, I think that's uh, something that needs to evolve now. We need to go how to work with people, right? You see things like managing from the back of the room, and and we're really starting to question these approaches. And, I, you know, I know we touched on no estimates. I think that fits into that, right? This Managers are the ones really getting squashed between – being at the point of a hierarchical structure, which used to make a whole lot of sense and give them all kinds of power, just suddenly having a dev team, like a lot of pilot projects are just this development team, which is working in this collaborative way. And, you know, it's, they're the ones stuck in the middle of it. You know, they're being challenged on, you know, what do you mean your team's like, um, I don't know, like, or for example, maybe they say, I see people talking about, or they're questioning why we're using a certain library and they want to write their own. Right, that they're wasting our time. They should just pump out more features or something, right? Or like even kind of get separated from team intent. Or even simpler, why? I saw one of your teammates uh, reading a book. Uh, what's that about? <laughs> yeah, what's that about? You're reading. Well, and they've been trained. I mean, and I kind of have some sympathy here. Project managers or business analysts. We spent 20 years, 30 years, telling them to work a certain way, and now we're saying, oh yeah, yeah, don't work that way. Now we want you to work differently. And we're not giving you any help. We're not giving you any support. We're just, you know, hey, they're lucky if they can go to a conference. I mean, how many times have you been at one of the, you know, the big Agile conference now is, I mean, they got the, I don't know if you've been to the Agile Tech one. Did you go there? Were you there last I year? Had, I was not. 
I was was fantastic. I was at Agile 2016, but only because I I was able to speak. So uh, it's an expensive conference now, right? But the managers that are there, they're getting their, their, you know, their minds are blown because they're a whole new way to work. They're like, oh, we didn't know it could be like this or, you know. You know, I, I put a lot of thought into, and actually, I used to. I used to do a talk about empathy for management because it's, it's actually, it's a quite a challenge to actually go from such a, a command and control, hier- hierarchical mindset to agile, and and part of it. So I went through this experience. So I spent the first, you know, ten, twelve years of my career as a, a developer and then project manager, and then first-line manager, and it was all uh, that, that style in a traditional company. And it, uh, once you see the Agile way, there's a lot of remorse and regret, and you start thinking about situations where you kept people late at night, you thought sliding pizza under the door was a fair compromise for taking away family time. You, know, you, you remember some of these things, and you start working through it, and it's a hard thing to confront, you know, that that some of the things you did were inhumane, some of the practices, while at the time you thought was best for the company, really was was not really a great thing to do. And I think a lot of people struggle with that, and there's some some pushback. And then you have, even within the Agile community, oh, you're a project manager, you're worthless to Agile. Or those types of really extreme views. Of, oh, or managers, yeah. managers aren't needed. And, and, and then, so not only yeah. do they have the internal conflict Hurtful. going on, Externally, there's there's some very extreme views, and and I, I certainly have a ton of empathy for those people trying to to shake those those thoughts from the past, and also deal with you know some of the confrontation that comes with with making the switch. Uh, there's, I don't know, we've gotten far too critical um, for for you know people talk about being such an empathetic movement and a collaborative movement. And I hear people, you know, having holy wars over, over estimates, over certifications, over. It's like, you know, uh, people are so quick to criticize other people's way of doing it. It's like you can offer an alternative. You can always do that, and people are. It, it's people's choice on where they spend their dollars. Um, you know, I think groups evolve. If you you can either. Uh, I was reminded of this this uh, this story when um, I think it was oh uh, I think it was Bob Geldof no, Bob Geldof I'm trying to think of a singer maybe it was when Joe Strummer passed away and um, yeah it was Joe Strummer and, and a singer said um, this great comment he said you know I don't think Joe or I either of us like the pop industry but he tried to change it from the outside I tried to change it from I tried to change it from the outside. Well, he tried to change it from the inside. Hmm. And um, that's, it's a really interesting idea, though, is that all we, like, there's so many people now in the Agile, can I call it a movement, right? The Agile group, like if you go, these people at conferences, there's all this criticism. There's all like, oh, this is a bad idea. This is terrible. Oh, oh I do X and you do Y, so you're a horrible person. And, and I don't know where all the, all the hate comes from. Um, like, I want to get back to like treating people well. Like let's you know, make people awesome. I mean, that's why that rings for me is that that's rewarding. Well, I, I my customers well. I don't want to like rip people off to like I can profit more for the next month and then 
go to the next customer or treat developers like growing them into the ground and then you know they'll quit and I'll hire some more and grind them into the ground and it's uh, I don't know I person maybe I know people do this I know people go oh that's smart because it's profitable but like, that's something I want to know part of I got really excited with the agile movement because because of the caring that was in it right because of this Maybe I'm being idealistic, but this view that we can make the world a better place, we're going to make the world of software development better. If you look at all the open source stuff, right, on the web, and the internet has been built off of free work, off of people doing stuff and not getting paid for it, you know, hoping, and people say, oh, well, they're getting recognition. They don't get it. A lot of times they're doing it because they love it. You know, they're pushing something out in GitHub because they're proud of it. They're excited. I know graphic designers, they're like, you want to see frustration? Put a graphic designer by themselves. <laughs> right? Yep. They go nuts. What they need to do is go, what do you think of this? 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 Right? They want the, People are proud of their work. They need to show it off. It's just, it's funny that we have this kind of conflict when our first value from the manifesto is individuals and interactions over processes and tools. And yet these people are willing to, to fight to the death over safe or, or whatever other framework or or methodology. And it, um, I'm with you. I, I really want to stay on the left side of that equation, you know, not, not discount the fact that processes and tools still exist and are, are they're insufficient, but necessary. Right. Uh, Woody Zool calls them the leftovers. The leftovers, right? Because uh, of the left over the right. Right, the leftovers. But um, I want to stay on the left side of that equation, where it's the individuals and interactions, and that's why, you know, that's why we started this podcast. It started as a group of us. I mean, we used to just get on Skype and and talk, and and I think it was Don Gray who even who said, you know, if we recorded this, this might be interesting. And I'm like, done. Let's start recording. And, <laughs> And suddenly we have 52, 53 episodes out there and, you know, 10,000 downloads. And they're really, they're, they're excellent. They're really good. I mean, I got to, I have to go through more of them. <laughs> but whenever I listen to them, they're contagious and you just, it's like listen to some people. Like I love the, the idea of just the chatting and, and this happens at work all the time. You start talking about a concept. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. You know? It's neat that you talked about the simplicity. Someone once asked me, you know, hey, I want to I want to do a podcast too. And, and what did you do that? Because um, right, I mean, this podcast, the downloads are exploding. I mean, it's we're fifty two episodes in, and and the monthly downloads just keep going up and up and up. And I and I tell people I do, uh, I have two principles. I love my friends, and I want them to be as wildly successful as possible. And that's the the those those are the two principles that guide this show. And there's one rule that I have when I'm editing is that I minimize my part as much as possible. So although we'll have this conversation, when it goes out, half of the things I said will be gone and you will be the focus uh, of this show. And I think that those two principles of love your friends and make them help them become as wildly successful as possible and then minimizing yourself, uh, that simplicity, I think it just makes it such a clear message and uh, people just get behind it. And I, I think if we brought that back to even the ways we do our teams, how can I, how can I love my teammates and, and make them as wildly successful as possible, but minimize my credit or my prestige? And it, I think... So it's selflessness, right? Right. Yeah, there, it's, there's almost like some ethics that have been lost, you know, like 
I know the word engineer gets thrown around all the time for different stuff, but you know, exists because a, a you know a bridge collapsed and and we realize people need to be ethical about when they're designing things and when they're they're making things and we've lost some of this ethics in society I and mean, this is much broader than the work that we do i mean i see this at the time i see i mean you hear stories uh, and um the coaches you know yelling at, at kids and stuff like that and we get you know it's the system is better now like people are getting chucked out of organizations and um there's a lot better training and stuff and filtering out um but people aren't growing up with with kind of manners and appreciation for other people. So they come into the workplace going, I'm going to maximize this for myself. And I don't know, did you see the the movie A Beautiful Mind? I did. So it's uh, in it. They talk about, you know, John, John Nash and um, is equal. It was an equilibrium uh, theory. But I mean, it is, he points out about how the best thing you can do is to actually help everyone. If everyone works together, if you maximize your profit only on the on the basis of a yeah, trade equilibrium, if if you maximize the gain for you personally, if everyone strives for the best situation possible for them at the down of others, they will not work over the long term. The idea is that you know, an example they had like four farmers, right? And if one of them has like a bad crop, then the other farmers can help them out. Because there's going to be another year where you have a bad crop, right? But we've gone the other way. We've gone to the society of, of get as much as I can for myself, right? Profit as much as I can. That's not, there's something wrong with it internally. There's an instinctive human nature that we feel wrong when we do this. Because it's very natural. It's been millions of years where we need community, we need a sense of belonging. We need a sense that I am part of something. You know, it's not just me. I belong to this family. I belong to a community. I belong to a village. I belong to a... And this is why people join CrossFit. This is why people join hockey teams. This is why people, you know, get a gym membership even. This is why people um, go to agile conferences. They have a need, this sense of belonging and being part of something. But I don't know how along that way this... And when you're there, treat them well, or that's falling away. Absolutely. Because we go to these things, and then we cross-check the kid and the other kid into the boards. Right? <laughs> you know, when we're, when we're at conferences, and I think our paths cross a few times here and there, I think the most fun we've had, and I always, I always think back to, you know, this, it used to be you tell the story around the campfire, right? And it used to be mm-hmm. that that's how you pass knowledge and you taught, and the lessons came from it. And that it certainly evolved into you know, books and other learnings and, and teachers and life coaches and whatever the new thing is. But um, at the root of it, it's just being able to sit around and tell a story to each other. And, and that's what we do at even these conferences. We find a place, we grab a few drinks, and everyone talks. And it's just, it's one of the most enjoyable experiences of the year. I think that's why a lot of us go. It's that there's a group of people that we want to sit down and have that campfire talk with because there's something in us that, that we need to have that. And I think bringing that to your teams, you know, can your teams just sit around and tell a story to each other about what you're building and what you and what your aspirations are and what you want to do even outside of the work and just get that kind of mm-hmm. connectedness. And I, I've seen teams get there 
and they are far more productive. And these aren't, you know, I don't believe in the 10x developer. I don't believe that that person really exists. But I believe in strongly aligned people doing great things together. My belief is that we have a few different team models that can work. The one I call the surgical team, and that's where we have uh, two doctors and we have supporting staff, and they are not all equal. You have like, you know, let's say we got a hypothetical, we have like a, you know, a C-sharp shop. We got a couple of guys who are like been coding for years, they're totally into it, they're into the blogs, it's their life, they live and breathe it, right? You don't need to put, and it's actually hazardous to put like five or six of those guys together on a team. What you want is like a couple of those guys, and then you want like three kind of keen learners, up and coming guys who are, who, who learn quickly and, and they're eager, right? You got some desire for it. You need people, uh, other support people around it. Like you need someone in with the business who really understands it, you know, and who can say, no, that's incorrect. This is what the customer really wants. And that can't be at a two week interval or something that has to be immediately, like right away, all the time, whenever an idea gets talked about. So that's kind of like the surgical team. You have other teams which are kind of more um, even skilled, but they're kind of lower skill level on, and they can they can work more collaboratively, right? Like they can, with those groups, you can do a lot of like um, um, conspicuous pairing and stuff. A lot of pair programming that is strong. So I I've become very um, I've moved away from trying to say this is the way you should do it. I uh, I used to be totally that way. This you must do it this way. You must be like this. And I spoke with um, George Didwitty and Bob Marshall uh, in Potsdam, Germany at Agile Testing Days. But they talked to me about about my approach and stuff. I started describing them what I was doing. They, were, they both got wide-eyed and they helped level me up there as a as a coach, I think. Um, I, I've had the... the I've, I've had the George Dinwiddie dev- level-up experience and it uh, it is profound. It really is. And he can do it with so few words, too. It's amazing. But they really got me to focus on what are the goals of the team? Like, what does the team want to get out of it? Not what do I want to get out of it? Or like sometimes as a coach, you see the potential. Yep. You say, wow, wow. I mean, this happens in hockey all the time, right? That could could be here or whatever, right? Um, I used to teach guitar lessons. It was the same thing. It's like, oh, this kid can play like this. If I just got to give him fill in these missing pieces. But you have to understand what's people's motivation. You know, going back to what you were saying beforehand, how does the team want to make that change? And if they don't have the awareness that it's important, right, they won't. So they have to want it. And why do people want to uh, go to the gym or go jogging or, or self-improve or weigh less? Or, like, I, I've talked to, with the human refactoring thing, I talked to all kinds of people about the people approach me and they're like, Oh, I really need help with this. You know, I need to refactor myself. And, and it's probably one in 20 conversations that amount to anything. Cause to start off, I say, Hey, this is going to be hard. You're going to have to change ingrained habits that you have. You're going to have to do some things you don't like. And you're going to have to, you know, you're going you're gonna to have to change and you're going to have to fuel it yourself. And they're like, ah, oh, well, uh, there's no magic wand and stuff, right? I mean, oh, where's the, the quick business? fix? Come on, where's the quick fix, Where's Brian? the quick fix? Let's go. Come on. Come on, six months, get the, the team fix. fixed. Isn't there, <laughs> Come on. Isn't there a blog with like six things I can do to make myself <laughs> awesome? Sure. No? Um, 
How about a pill? You got a pill? How about a pill? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, though. People really want it. They, they go, oh, well, let's paint Agile on the walls, and suddenly uh, everything will solve itself, right? We'll have all these problems will go away. But I think they need to drill down into the, you know, if there were six things, they say, right? I like, I like modern Agile, and I like to do a cross-section with two things with it. So modern Agile, they're going to make people awesome, deliver value continuously, make safety prerequisite, um, and uh, forgetting the last one. Oh, experiment and learn rapidly. Those four things are fantastic, right? And they, they talk about so much we're doing with Agile. But I, in through that, though, I want to tell people to focus on simplicity and continuous improvement, right? Keep all those things in mind. But with those six things, that's all you need. Every question you have, you say, well, is this making people awesome? No, this is actually treating people like garbage. Well, you probably shouldn't do it then, <laughs> right? Like it's a guideline and it's not like, you know, we really threw around a lot of stuff at first about um, – at Ayala about going into like, where do things fit in that? Like how does TD fit in? How does refactoring fit in? Trying to map everything down for people. And and the real conclusion was we want people to think, right? We want people to think for themselves. We want people to go question stuff. I mean, that's where you really make a jump. You know, I'm talking about the agile mindset. What does the agile mindset do, right? We go, huh, I wonder if there's a better way or, or wow, I got it wrong. I'm going to try harder. Right. Yeah, I think I think it was Woody wow. Zool. I I always come for some reason when we start talking about these things, Woody Zool stories pop in my mind. I think it's just because he's so <laughs> profoundly on the side of of the the human element of things. And uh, you know, we were talking about putting rules and guidelines in place, and he stopped me, and I I think he said something about you know rules show up because people do the wrong things. Don't you want don't you want things yeah. in place that tell people how to do the right things? And I'm like, well, you know, what do you mean? And, and it, we, you know, we went through this this conversation, and of course he was right. And when I think of modern agile, it's it's not rules to guard against a bad practice. It's basically just showing how to turn up the good, as Woody would say. Yeah. And I, I think that's Woody would say. I said, oh, you mean turn down the bad? And Woody said, no, don't turn down the bad. Just turn up the good. Just and again, it's one of those things. Woody will say a few words. And it takes you months to like figure out what you really <laughs> meant there, you know, because yep. I think I got it on the surface. But then, you know, a few weeks later, I'll be like, oh, wait a sec. I saw just saw another level to what he said. Um, it was like uh, I had a um, I don't know if I don't know if you got this at the beginning of the I don't know when you started recording at the beginning when we were chatting. Um, but I said I had a boss that you know said you got time to lean, you got time to clean. OK. Um, and uh you know, I, I thought he was really in about measuring the busyness, but in fact, you know, I'm looking at that now going, being cleaning up a, a room or a system or your health, right? Cleaning up your body, right? Um, maybe you quit smoking. Um, it's such a profound change that if you have any, you know, if you can afford extra time, invest it in making that improvement and that you know, a simpler, uh, improved system. Well, it's interesting how, uh, some words that we hear, some sayings, they change their meaning over time. 
Oh, certainly. You know, it's like we're not in the right state. We're not like I hear a phrase and I'm like, oh, yeah, that means X. But then I'm like, I don't know. I think I learn a few different things and then my perspective is different. I'm like, oh, wow. I hadn't considered that. I think that's a good sign. Like if you're having those moments where you think back to something and it used to mean one thing to you, now it means another. It's kind of a sign of growth, right? <laughs> I hope so. Maybe. Or maybe regression. Like, maybe regression. I don't know. Maybe regression. It's changed <laughs> anyway, but it is. Changed. I always feel like, uh, oh wow, I was, you know, I was being pretty slow beforehand. Like, what was I thinking? Our, I mean, a lot of times is maturity too, right? Like we uh, we go from a state. It might be some survival in it, but when we're twenty one years old, we think that we know everything, and uh, it, it's there's probably a you know. It's scientifically probably quite important for our survival to feel that way. You know, that way we get you know, kicked out of the house and we have to go and do things on our own. It's a, it's a healthy process. Um, but over time, well, we, I heard this the other day. I, I, I laughed. Uh, I said, the guy, my friend said, he said, you know, the older I get, the smarter my dad is. <laughs> That's very true. And it's like, yeah, things we don't realize. We're like, well, why would you ever want to do that? And suddenly it's like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. Well, then you, um, you throw kids into the mix, and then you find yourself saying the same things that your parents did that you hated. You know, they, <laughs> oh, we don't play with uh, toys and after school until the homework's done because we work, we get our work done, and then we can play. And it's like, well, that was always, oh, this is the worst. And, and then you have a kid, and it's like, well, if, if it gets to 9 o'clock, He's already past his bedtime. If the homework's not done, he's going to be up later. So, yes, we want to front load the homework, play a little bit, make sure they're in bed because if they don't get, you know, 10 hours of sleep, they're crazy. And they, you know, all these things go through your mind that you had no, no, no awareness of as a kid. And it's like, oh, it all made sense. And those moments. It all makes sense. And it happens a lot. So how do you, so how do you deliver that now? Like we come back to it and like knowing, knowing how you felt beforehand knowing how you felt as a child and now knowing how you feel as an adult when you deliver that and you realize it's your dad's words coming out of your mouth. Right. You go, oh, like, do you change what you say? I do. And I, and I have preempt this with, I have great parents. So I had a very good, good upbringing, nothing tragic, uh, never wanted for anything, every opportunity. Now, are you saying that because they listen to your show? No, they don't listen, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I, I have no reason to ever complain about my childhood. And so they did uh, they did the best they, they could in it and you know, with all the ways they knew and but with that said, so when I do you know, when my son does get upset, there is a little empathy there where all right, I understand why you're upset about this and, and I just try to explain we have to get to bed at this time, we have to and just lay it out and then mm-hmm. offer him choices, which I find is actually uh. helpful. So I try to put trade offs in place. Like, if we don't do our homework now, you know, this may happen. Or, or try to put scenarios in place where he has to think through a choice and accept a consequence of that choice. And I find that... I think it's a great way. That I've done the same thing. I've introduced the concept of the choice and put the onus on. It's like, well, this is what's happening. This is how much time you actually have. Right. Um, this is what we're planning on doing later. You know, uh, you know, this is why you should do your homework now. But at the same time... Um, sometimes there's other little methods. Like I brought in uh, Pomodoro's when my eldest was younger. Yep. I had a, a lot of trouble getting him going on the homework. So we actually did, uh, we did five minute Pomodoro's. Nice. And that was like, it was four minutes of working. And then t- we had a little timer and then the timer would go off and set it for a minute. And 
It's like, hey, man, yeah, and, and, and it's the whole concept of you have to stop working now. Stop working on your homework. And it, it was very successful. Um, I know it's not really a Pomodoro. It's really short. Uh, but it was enough that, you know what, focusing for four minutes on something isn't too bad. Right? You can keep your focus on that. And knowing that you got – and it's this thing about knowing you have this break. Yep. It's always like a grueling concept to go, oh, I'm going to have to do X. And you go, and, and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like it's, you know, when will I come up from air? It's like going under a tunnel full of, under a bridge or the tunnel full of water. You're like, I don't know if I'll make it to the other side. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I find too that trying to make it fun. And so the other great thing that my parents did was they always paired with us on homework. So we weren't just sent yeah. off to a room to do homework. It was well, here, let's talk through these problems. And now they didn't give us the answers, but there was always a sounding board and, and a way to to kind of seek guidance. And, and I find that pairing and trying to keep it fun, and that that has also helped. But most importantly, and I think I have this uh, issue at times too, is just getting started. You know, if you can just get started oh, doing, yeah. if you can break the inertia, it seems to uh, to help as well. It, we were, you know, you have to have a, you have to create a make it easy to be successful yep like it's simple to succeed so you have a place that's clean that's ready and, and it's routine you always do homework at that time in that place and uh, you know we need to do this with with our teams too. make it easy to succeed don't make it hard to be successful now that's one thing i mean i'm not a um one thing i really like about the concept of scrum masters in New organizations, organizations, organizations that are new to Agile, I think the Scrum Master brings in, uh, we start off with one person with this approach of, hey, you know, I want to remove barriers out of the way for you guys. I want to block problems that are coming in and, and make it easier and easier for you to do your work. Um, good Scrum Masters can be fantastic in making that, bridging that, what I was talking about earlier about that, you know, agile team with old structure working with a manager on that um i think that the longer term though i'd like to see everyone kind of be able to do that i think the reality is though is that in a lot of organizations you can't get everyone to do that you can't give them the authority like that i know you can't give it to them it's just that that's so weird for an organization like one of the things i talk to people about is um if I said, hey, I go to the gym seven days a week, you'd be like, dude, something wrong with you, right? Um, but if you were a person that went to the gym like, you know, twice a week, and I said I went to the gym three times a week, you'd be like, yeah, I could see that. I could probably try to get another workout in. It would be good for me or whatever, right? Or, <laughs> And if I said four, you'd be like, okay, stretching it a little bit. That's a lot. But if you were a guy who went four days a week to the gym, and I said I was going six days, you'd be like, wow. You know, it's it's the difference between where we are now and what we're talking about. Right. And I think that's confusing for a lot of organizations and teams because we come in and we go, we talk about, you know, OK, we're doing this like a Kanban thing and it's going to be like really free flowing and it's going to be like and they're like, what? And um, starting, I think Scrum has been so successful because it's starting them in a in a easier spot. It's easier for them to get their heads around. Um, yeah, good it, or bad. It's, it's prescriptive, and so it, 
it, it tells you that at the beginning of a sprint, you'll do this, and these are the outputs, and you're ultimately trying to get a sprint goal or an outcome. And it, I think it is Scrum is a brilliant on ramp on ramp to Agile, but it gets back to your comment about we want people to think, and so eventually Scrum could become insufficient, where you have situations come up, and maybe you have to switch over to to Kanban or to, to some other method, or some hybrid in between that, that is fit for your purpose, but you got there because you experimented, you asked questions, and you found a way to enhance the flow of the work. Yes, did you get there the right way? Did a manager come and say, you're going to change to Kanban today? Right. Or did you, as a team, go, wow, you know what? We're having trouble here. Like, it's, we get this, uh, I wanted to, we get this part done. Can't we put it live now? <laughs> and then the manager, a supportive manager, then goes, well, what you're talking about is a concept called Kanban where we just, you know, move things through right away. Uh, it's a little different than Scrum and maybe prepares a presentation to show people the differences. And the team's like, OK, too weird. Maybe in another few months, but we better stick to Scrum. Or they're like, hey, that's great. That would be perfect for us. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the old manager versus the new manager, right? And their approach and support. Yeah, and it's it's a cultural thing though, right? It's like saying, I'm gonna offer you choice. It's just like you said you do with your son. Right. The manager does with the team. Well, here's Scrum and here's Ken Ben. Um, what do you guys feel about? And, well, we'd and like here, to try this one. Here's the pros, cons, sure, consequences. Yeah, exactly. And it's And they're allowed to. Like they're if yeah. they're they have that safety that they can go and try it, knowing you might get it wrong, knowing you might screw things up, knowing you might delay the project. That safety thing right. is, is super critical, and it reminds, reminds me of a workshop that I was doing. Uh, it's, just, it's basically an advanced Scrum workshop where people can show up with all of their questions, and we just we throw them on the board, and we basically the idea is you got through the two-day class, you went back to your organization, and you're hitting a wall. There's organizational resistance, there's <laughs> team resistance, so what do you do next? And they, they come with these scenarios, and I remember a gentleman very clearly he's like our retros are worthless and i thought well that's interesting why are they worthless well no one will talk well do you understand why no one's talking he's like well i have no idea and he was getting more and more agitated with the more questions i asked and i started thinking to myself wow i think i understand what's happening and so i asked the guy have you ever left the room and let the team retro uh with one of their team members leading it well why would i do that and just more and more agitated and so I asked him, as an experiment with your next retro, would you be willing to leave the room and allow the team to, to see if they can come up with some, some suggestions and outcomes? And actually, he, he did email me afterwards, um, and we actually had a nice conversation, but uh, he did leave the room, and what he learned was they didn't feel safe talking in front of him. And it was this mm -hmm. agitation. It wasn't the fact that he wouldn't empower or help them, but it would, they would had to deal with the outward agitation of some of the questions and that awareness I think helped him greatly by him leaving the room too he actually is building trust with them yep he's saying I'm going to let you run some of this yourself now and that's going to help improve that relationship there um, it's not he's not exiting you know his involvement he's actually strengthening his relationship and just so the, uh -huh. the listeners don't think I'm being too critical, I actually had to leave the room uh, in a past role. I was a, an IT director, and I had a, a team reporting to me, and we were struggling with a solution. 
and uh, I got the sense, you know, we brought the team into a, a conference room with some whiteboards and it's like, all right, guys, what are we going to do? And I got the sense that there was an issue speaking in front of me. And it was kind of humbling that they wanted to, uh, or that they weren't able to do some of the solutioning uh, with me in the room. And so I got up and I said, I'm going to leave. I think you're all brilliant. I think you're all capable of solving this problem without me. Uh, as soon as you're ready with a solution in mind, I'd like to see it. You know, so if you would show it to me when you're ready, just ping me and you know, hit me up on Slack and I'll come back. And uh, after being ground to a halt for hours, I think within 30 minutes I had a ping on Slack with, hey, come in, we got something. And when we retroed on it, I found out later um, it was a bad design decision. They didn't want to humiliate someone so quickly to, so in close proximity to reviews coming up. And it was, uh, oh. which was actually. So it's actually caring based, right? Yes. Like they were. Absolutely. And I actually. Interesting. During the retro, I told them I was proud of them for that action, but also reassured them that uh, in no way would that come up on a, on a review, that that just, that happens. Design is emergent. Architecture is emergent. We're going to learn mm-hmm. things and move on. But it's a, it's kind of a humbling experience too, where you, you have to walk out the door and, and uh, trust the team, and that stuff's hard. It's why I think a lot of this stuff, it's why a lot of this stuff can fail in organizations, why some of this stuff is scary in organizations, and why empathy and safety are just so super critical to this. Because even coaches like us can be in situations where, you know, sometimes they want us out of the room too. You know, I have had um, absolutely brilliant uh, guitar teachers that I said, yeah, I can't work with this guy. And, and I've had other guitar teachers who their prowess wasn't, you know, anywhere near this person. But right away, we were on the same wavelength and we connected. And I just, right. everything he said just made sense to me. Like, um, and, you know, that's so important that you have the right fit, you know, the right type of coach for that team. And um, it's a big thing. So, Brian, we're hitting our, uh, our time box. And being the good agilist we are, we, we respect our time boxes. But before we, we get out, the last time we talked, uh, you were working on the, the living to 100, or was it 200 <laughs> experiment? 200. So, so far, you're, you've been successful as you're here and talking, right? <laughs> Still going. So how are, what's the progress on the uh, live to 200 goal? Um, that one's taking a uh, back seat and I, uh, to another, I went on a, a different project recently and which I just, I just posted a blog up about it. So, um, and it's a superhero experiment. Nice. Because with the human refactoring, a lot of people talk about, Oh, I need to trim up or I need to, you know, run a little faster. I need to do this. And for me, I started thinking, I said, well, you know, what would be really challenging is to actually, um, to bulk up to see if I can, you know, build a superhero physique. And so I have, uh, you know, for the last, I don't know, six months, seven months, I've been um, uh, going to the gym three times a week and increased my diet dramatically, uh, actually putting on weight. And everyone's like, I need to take a weight off. What do you mean? Putting it on is easy. <laughs> but it's like putting on the right kind of weight. So measuring, you know, the percentage body fat. Yeah, it's, it's all about healthy living too. I mean, I'm continually trying to improve things. So I've actually just finished this. My weight went from up to 230, um, from like 210. And uh, so 20 pounds, it wasn't all muscle. I mean, you do put on the, it's a whole little game of 
fat and muscle and being bigger and, and size. So now what I'm trying to do is to trim back down and keep as much muscle as I can. It's uh, yeah. If people can read it more on the blog at humanrefactor.com, they'd like to learn more about that. Um, I still like the uh, you know this, this is part of the like the living to 200. It's part of the human refactor stuff. I think we're really on the verge of a lot of science um, scientific breakthroughs that are going to change the way um, the way humans are. I'm hoping it doesn't become a real separate kind of thing where the people with money get to you know, get to have the health pill or whatever, right? And uh, people who don't don't get it, we'll see. I mean, obviously something with people living to 200 would change the world. So I just focus right now on, you know, that's my brilliant redesign in my head is that <laughs> it can be so healthy that it can live long. But as we know, good refactors that we focus on, you know, simplicity and continuous improvement and just do a little bit. So today I eat very well. Well, actually, today's experiment is with intermittent fasting. So that's uh, another great, uh, I should do a blog on it, but it's another uh, great thing that people do. The idea being that when you drop this weight, um, that you can actually sustain more muscle mass on your body if you, every second day, uh, you uh, do fasting. Nice. So if so. you if you want to keep up with Brian and his experiments in refactoring uh, the human body, we'll get a link up to the uh, to his blog site. So in the show notes, you can check it out. It's always fascinating to to catch Brian at uh, Agile Coach Camp or one of these other conferences where he's presenting on how he's refactoring uh, his lifestyle, and it uh, it always catches the attention. I hope you make it to 200, and I hope I'm uh, still here to to interview interview you and see how 200's going. So how about that? Sounds great. So Brian, great. at this point, if you want to promote anything, if you have anything going on, if you're hitting some conferences. I'm sure the re- I know the listeners uh, love catching you, being able to talk to you. So where are you going to be? What do you have going on? And how can the, the listeners reach out to you? Um, well, things have just uh, opened up. I'm um, trying to do some more work in, I mean, I've been very focused at a few clients and uh, I'm trying to uh, go back to more of what I used to do, which is working on uh, with, with several different clients. Um, I'd love to come to uh, England, actually. Llewellyn Falco and I were talking. We said that's kind of, well, it's mostly closer to him, but we'd <laughs> like to meet up and uh, do some training together. Got to do some more shout outs to see if we can get some interest in uh, London, England and run a workshop there. I'm, I'm actually, if people who are looking for, uh, for a speaker, I invite them uh, to reach out and talk to me because I'm planning my year out. Um, I've had a few, there's a few dates, but I'm not finalized yet. So I don't want to, don't want to push them out there, but mostly in uh mostly overseas well then if if that's what you got brian we'll we'll keep an eye out for you hopefully you'll be at coach camp or agile 2017 or we'll catch you at one of these otherwise you're going to be up in canada huh uh other than that i'm up in canada and i'm uh, doing doing less traveling right now than i was and spending lots of time with my family and uh i'm loving that so it's great quality of life right now excellent well that's great to hear brian and as always thank you for joining me Love the time that we get together. It's not often enough, but uh, take what we can get. It's always great uh, to be able to talk with you, and I uh, can't wait for the next time. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com.
Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.